time because the church has grown quite considerably since uh, I was here last time. Now then normally we come to church because often we have a need or we just want to be blessed. But I didn't, I have in my heart not necessarily a word to bless you, but a word to, shall we say, warn you. Because as Paul wrote to Timothy, speaking about the last days, he said, uh, no, he said, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And those days are fast coming upon us. I'm sure many of you that follow the news understand uh, what has been going on in the Middle East and how that there's been much persecution of the Christians. Literally hundreds of thousands of them have been slaughtered and executed uh, as they stood steadfastly in their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Very sobering thoughts. Very sobering thoughts. And for those of us that uh, still are sitting, shall we say, comfortably in seats of freedom, going about our daily uh, duties, and uh, not perhaps suffering the persecution that they are, that does not mean that we shall be exempt. I'd like to turn you to a scripture, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel. And uh, where I'm reading is where Jesus was talking to the disciples from what is known as the Mount of Olives, and this is known as theological terms as the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is responding to a number of questions that the disciples had put to him. And one of them, of course, was, or those questions was, what will be the sign of your coming? And so Jesus is answering their question. And so I read now from verse 5. Well, verse 4 of Matthew 24. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now that is the very first thing he said when they asked him, What will be the sign of your coming? And the first thing he said was this. Make sure that no one deceives you. Now, what is the meaning of deception? Deception is to believe something to be true that is not. You can only deceive somebody who lacks truth. And that's why Jesus said in the last days, many shall be deceived. Why? Because they have not got a love for the truth. Therefore, they are placing themselves into positions of deception through a lack of understanding of the truth. But Jesus' word is the truth. He said, I am the truth. And we have the scriptures in our hands, which is a record of all that Jesus taught. And not only did he teach us, but he has given to us the Holy Spirit to quicken that word to us that we might be well informed that we be not deceived. But let's read on. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. He says, but all these are just the beginning of sorrows. They're just the beginning. Let's read on. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, it's happening, as I said, in the Middle East at the moment. But Jesus said it will happen in all nations. That includes India, New Zealand, where we come from, America, where our son and daughter-in-law and their family live. You see, all over the world, Christians are going to suffer great persecution. Jesus, Jesus said that. And what I want us to realize is that we need to be aware of that. But we need not fear it if we are prepared in our hearts. I want to take you to the prophet Ezekiel for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 33. And we're going to read Ezekiel 33. Can I lift this pulpit up? Because my eyesight... That is better. I can see better now. <laughs> Thank you. He said, Son of man, reading from verse 2 of Ezekiel 33, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land and all the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. And when he sees the sword coming upon the land, that means the enemy are invading. When he sees the sword coming upon the land, and if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take heed to the warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes that person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now they're very sobering words. But if the man heeds the warning, he shall save his life. But I want you to understand, he may not necessarily save it in this world. But he'll save it in victory for the world to come. Because many, as I said, tens and hundreds of thousands of Christians have already died in the Middle East. They have lost their lives on this earth, but because they have endured faithfully unto the end, the words of Jesus, no doubt, were ringing in their ears as they passed from this world into the next. The words of Jesus said that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Endurance. And that is why we read such verses in the Hebrew epistle. 
Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You have need of endurance. You see, to remain faithful unto the end. And so I, I, I want to be among you today virtually as one that has put his lips to the trumpet. I want to sound the, the warning that we might see the urgency of the hour in which we live, the days of Scripture being unfolded before our very eyes, that we might be alarmed and prepare ourselves for what may come, that we be ready for that hour, and that we shall not go in defeat, but we shall go victorious with an attitude like Jesus when he said, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down. And Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friend. And Jesus is our greatest friend. Are we prepared to lay it down for him? And another scripture says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Now this was true of many of the Old Testament saints. If I can take you to, to uh, Hebrews in that great faith chapter. The 11th chapter of Hebrews, just turning there for a moment. Give me a pulpit and a group of people and a Bible. I love to take you through the Bible. Let Scripture speak to us. Let Scripture speak to us. And so we're looking at Hebrews in the 11th chapter. And uh, we'll pick it up uh, in verse um, 32. And it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, and they became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, we all know that as God's people, if we are dead in Christ at his coming, we shall be resurrected. We're all going to have resurrection. But the, how then can we have a better resurrection? It means to come and to stand before the Lord more honorable before him than others. Because we have been faithful. We have fulfilled the will of God in our lives that he has laid his hand upon us for. And hopefully as we stand before him and hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Well, other Christians will stand there and they will say, but Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, have we not worked miracles in your name? Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now, these aren't unbelievers. Unbelievers don't go around doing miracles in the name of Jesus and prophesying in the name of Jesus and casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Unbelievers don't do that. No, they're God's people. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And that's why he had previously said, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord. And remember this, no man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. But not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. 
So I want you to see there are varying degrees of resurrection. It'll all happen simultaneously, but some shall receive great reward. Others shall be stand before the Lord naked, bereft of any works whatsoever. Like, uh, you know, Paul wrote in his allegory in 1 Corinthians 3 when he said, Let every man take heed how he build, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or stubble. For every man's work shall be tried by fire. And if a man's work shall endure, he shall receive great reward. But if a man's work be consumed, he shall suffer loss. What will he lose? All reward. That's what he will lose. All reward. Nevertheless, he is still saved, yet so as by fire. You see, the gold and the precious stone Christians get a better resurrection. But the, 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 the wood, the hay and the straw, much, 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 much less, having lost all reward even though they're still saved, you see? And so you can see the value of being faithful unto the Lord, enduring faithfully to the end. And they did it in the Old Testament, why? that they might receive a better resurrection. Church, I want to implore you to believe God for that better resurrection. Like Paul when he said, forgetting those things which are behind me, reaching out for that which lies ahead of me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if there's a high calling, that tells me there must be a low calling. Because high has no meaning unless we understand low. <laughs> You see, tall has no meaning unless we understand short. Hot has no meaning unless we understand cold. Fat has no meaning unless we understand thin. You see, the law of contrast. If there's a high calling, there must be a low calling. All right, that's my introduction this morning. To prepare you to see the value of God's word being deposited in your life. You see, like the psalmist when he said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. Let the word of God guide us and prepare us for what, come, what is coming. Now then, I want to take you to just one more scripture here. And it's found in 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And so if we turn to 1 Peter, and we're reading from verse 3. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, our hope is for what lies beyond the grave for us. Not what we inherit in this life here on earth, but what we stand to inherit on the other side of resurrection. Because remember we were talking about having a better resurrection. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Where is your inheritance? It's reserved in heaven for you. You're not getting it here on earth. It's reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, what's the this? In this hope, this living hope which we've been begotten again to, that is born again into. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if needs be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now I want to take that phrase, 
if needs be, if needs be. God knows your heart. You know, like the psalmist said of old, search me, O God, and know my heart, I pray, and see if there be any wicked way in me. You see, we think we know our heart. We don't. You see, we don't really know it because so often we come to an experience in life where pressure is put on us and all of a sudden we react in a, in a oh, and we, we're alarmed and we're shocked. I didn't know that was in me. You know, when we react back in anger or we react in response in some particular way, when, when false accusations or lies are said about it or somebody you know, falsely accuses us or somebody smites us or something like that. You see, how do we react? Well, sometimes we've never been in a situation like that. As Jesus said, if someone smack you on the left cheek, well, we know what Jesus said. He said, turn to him the other cheek, didn't he? But do we have the ability to do that? Do we have that maturity of character in God to be able to turn the other cheek? Most of us don't know. Why don't we know? Because it's never happened to us. So maybe after church today, we should break up into groups and have uh, a face-slapping workshops <laughs> to see if we've got the uh, character to be able to turn the second cheek. No, no, no. We, we wouldn't do that. You see, but, you see, until we're in a situation like that, we really don't know how we're going to react. And so God does. And so God allows us to go through trials to reveal our heart, not to him because he already knows it, but to reveal our heart to ourselves. So we might understand the flaws of character that still need to be healed in each one of us. And so then he says, if needs be. And God knows what each one of us needs. The trial I have to go through is not the one you have to go through. And the one you have to go through is not necessarily the one I have to go through. We're all different. So if needs be, you have been grieved with various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith may be proven. The genuineness of your faith may be proven. That's the purpose of these trials. All right. Now, I want to take you. And I want you to notice, it's Peter that's writing this. It's Peter. And ever there was a man that could write something truthfully like this out of his own heart. Why? Because he went through one of those trials. He went through one of those trials. So no better person could God have used to write those few verses. If needs be, you've been grieved by various trials. I want to take you to one of Peter's trials. Let's go there now. In, in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Now, just to get the setting, the disciples were bickering and jockeying among themselves and arguing among themselves about who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. You know, one of them's mother came to Jesus and said, Grant that these my two sons, James and John, might sit one on your right hand, one on your left when you come into your kingdom. And uh, the disciples, when they, the other ten disciples, when they heard this, they were furious. Why? Because deep down they wanted the positions. So really all twelve disciples 
were jockeying and arguing uh, about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, he that would be greatest among you, let him be servant of all. He said, who is the greatest? He who sits down to eat or he who serves him? And they said, oh, he who sits down to eat. And Jesus said, true, but I come among you. It's not as one who sits down to eat, but as one who serves. So he that wants to be greatest, let him be servant of all. And that was the lesson he gave to his disciples. But then he singles out Peter. He singles out Peter now. And let's pick it up now, Luke 22. And he said in verse 31, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned for me, strengthen your brethren. Let's just look at those few verses. Jesus said, Peter, or he called him Simon here. He says, Satan is going to buffet you. Now remember this. Satan has no power or authority over your life or to interfere with your life except God permits it. Does God permit Satan access to us? Yes, he does. We learned that in the story of Job. Remember the story of Job? How that, uh, you know, Satan was wandering through the heavens and God said, come here, come here, Satan. He says, see my servant Job? How good he is and how upright he is and what a man of integrity he is. And Satan said, oh, that Job guy, he's only being faithful to you for what he can get. For what he can get. And that's the, some Christians are like that. Lord, I'm sick, heal me. Lord, I have a need, provide it. Lord, I have a problem, come solve it. That's the attitude of many Christians. Not you people, I'm talking about the other church down the road. <laughs> that is the attitude. All they're concerned about is what God can be for them. And this was, this, was, this was Satan's accusation. Oh, he's only serving you for what he can get. That's why. He's only a Christian for what he can get. And God said, he said, you let me at him and I'll show you what he's like. God said, all right, you may touch everything that he has, but don't you touch him. And we all know the story. I don't want to preach on Joe, but I'm just using that point to show you that Satan can only... Buffered us to the degree that God allows it. And so Jesus is reminding Peter that. He says, Satan is requesting <laughs> that he buffet you, that he sift you like wheat. And so we see this was one of the trials, if needs be, that Peter had to go through. All right. And so he said, now, but Peter, you're going to go through this trial. Satan's going to see to it, and God's going to allow it. But Peter, I'm, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you, Peter, that during that trial, your faith will not fail. That was what Jesus assured Peter of. And remember this, God is praying. The Lord, as our intercessor, is praying for each one of us. No matter what trial we go through, he's there interceding on our behalf. Do you believe it, church? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But let's read on here. He says, 
I have prayed for you that your faith found life. But when you have returned to me, interesting, when you have returned to me. Now, when you read the scriptures, don't just read what is said. Read what is implied by what is said. Now, what is said here? When you return to me, what does that imply? Well, for Peter to return to the Lord, he has to walk away from the Lord. Doesn't it? Did Jesus know that Peter was going to walk away from him and deny him? Yes, he did. But he said, Peter, when you return to me, after this experience that you're going to go through, that's going to test your faith, when you have returned to me, he said, strengthen the brethren. But Peter got upset by that. Lord, what do you mean? When I return to you, I'm not going away from you. I will lay down my life for your sake. I'll even go to prison with you. So confident was Peter. And so confident we are when everything is smooth. <laughs> when there are no trials. When there is no enemy in sight. Oh yes, we could echo sentiments uh, the same as what Peter said. Oh Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll even go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. You see, but Jesus said, Peter... The cock will not crow until you have denied me three times. In other words, before morning comes, before morning comes, you'll deny that you ever knew me. You see? And there's no more response here from Peter. Jesus leaves the issue now. And he goes on to say, verse 36, or verse 33, he says, when I sent you without money, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? Now, he's referring to the time when he began his ministry and he selected the 12 disciples in whom he was going to train and prepare to carry on the ministry after his demise. And uh, as an early lesson, he sent them out two by two. We all know the story to share the gospel of good news. And he says, take no money bag. Don't take a knapsack or a change of clothing or shoes or anything like that. And in other words, he was saying, trust me. Trust me that everything will be supplied that you need if you forsake all to follow me. I'll look after you. I'll bless you. And as Pastor said, Sister Ruth and I have been in ministry now 52 years. We graduated from Bible school, 1964, 52 years ago. And if ever we can testify on the faithfulness of God, that he does supply our need, we can do that. Or oh, we've known times of harshness, but we've also known times of blessing. Like the Apostle Paul said, I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is to abound. But in all things we learn to be content. And that's what Jesus wanted the disciples to learn. Trust me. Trust me. And so he said, when I sent you out like that, did you lack anything? And they said, no. And now he says, I say to you, he that has money, a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, take it. Then he makes a statement. And he who has no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one. Unusual thing for Jesus to say. 
He that hath no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one. I was having dinner with some people just a few uh, a week or two ago in uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And would you believe about a 10 or 12 year old boy, the son of my host, as we were having uh, dinner, asked me a question. And it was this, that if somebody broke into my house and my wife and children were in danger and I had a gun, would I shoot them? That was the question he put to me as a Christian. Would I use my gun to shoot them if they were coming in to do my wife and children harm? Well, my question to him was, well, what was the Christian doing with a gun? <laughs> oh, but Jesus said, he that hath no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one. There are, he's giving us permission to have a weapon. There it is. There it is. He that hath no garment, let him sell. Let him uh, sell a garment and buy a sword. He that has no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one. There you are. All right. Now, after having said that, because, you know, Jesus said, for I say unto you that which is written must still be accomplished in me, that he was numbered with the transgression, with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And this is it. Jesus is among sinful people. You see, the sword in the hand, it's an evil instrument. So when he had said that, he that hath no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one, all of a sudden the disciples were very brave. And out from under flowing garments, two swords miraculously appeared. <laughs> oh, Lord, it so happens we've got two swords among us. Why were they hidden under flowing garments? Because they knew Jesus was against the sword. But they had secretly hidden a couple of swords under their flowing garments, thinking Jesus didn't know they had them. You know, trust in the Lord, but uh, keep your powder dry sort of thing, you know. And always have a plan B. <laughs> and so uh, that's what their response. Oh, Lord, it so happens we've got two swords among us, and out come these two swords. And Jesus said, it is enough. Because that provokes a question. Enough for what? Enough to overthrow the Roman Empire? Hardly, not two swords. <laughs> or enough to deal with the band of soldiers and the crowd that would come to capture Jesus very shortly? Two swords? No. These, so these soldiers that were coming to capture Jesus were... Trained swordsmen, they would cut those disciples to ribbons. They would be no match against those soldiers. So, enough for what? Two swords, he said, that's enough. Enough for what? Well, let's have a look and see what happened. All right, coming out, verse 39. He went to the Mount of Olives, and he was, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. That was his instruction to them. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. So he leaves them. And he wanders away a little bit from them. And when he was withdrawn from them, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, 
Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now then, what is the purpose? What is the focal point of my message to you this morning? It is recognizing within ourselves the spirit of self-survival. Can I repeat that? It is recognizing within us the spirit of self-survival. Now then, Jesus was son of God and he was also son of man. As son of man, did Jesus also have a spirit of self-survival? Yes, he did. Why? He didn't want to drink the cup. What was the cup? The cup of death. And so he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of death. He didn't want to die as son of man. And, but he doesn't stop there in his prayer. He goes on to pray. He says, however, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was Jesus' will? Not to drink the cup. What was the Father's will? For him to drink it. So what did Jesus do? What was Jesus facing here? Temptation. Temptation. Temptation to turn aside from the cup. But Jesus would not submit to that temptation. He said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what did Jesus do? He crucified the self-will that the will of the Father might be done in and through his life. And drink the cup he did. I want you to see that was the greatest temptation Jesus ever faced. I know when we speak about his temptations, we often think about the three temptations that uh, he was exposed to in the Spirit after he was um, baptized in the River Jordan by John. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And we look at those three temptations and he overcame them, all three. But I want you to see this was the greatest temptation Jesus ever faced to turn aside from that cup. But he said, no, Lord. No, Father, he said. If it's your will for me to drink it, drink it, I will. You see, doing the will of our Father in heaven. See, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but they that do the will of my Father in heaven. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Don't ever deviate to the left or to the right from what you know God would have you to do. And so, having prayed victoriously and overcome the temptation, he rises from prayer, comes back to the disciples. Verse 46, he finds them sleeping and he says, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now what temptation? The temptation to resort to the sword. Now we see why Jesus wanted them to have a sword. He that hath no sword, let him sell a garment and buy one. Why? Jesus, and when Jesus said two swords are enough, enough for what? An object lesson. What was the object lesson? Jesus used the external sword in the hand 
to reveal the sordid nature of the heart. You see, that is the lesson Peter had to learn and the disciples. The sordid nature, the spirit of self-survival. Jesus said, you don't fight evil with evil. You don't fight an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He tells us to resist evil, to resist it. No greater has a love that a man has than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. Jesus is our friend. You see? Would we resort to the sword or to some other weapon in the moment of crisis? You see, we have literally thousands upon thousands of Christians in the Middle East who have testified by their death that they loved not their lives even unto death. They did not resort to the sword nature to save themselves. They didn't. They're martyrs. They're martyrs. You see, how would we react in that situation? All right? Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Then the temptation arrived. The soldiers and Judas and crowd of people came to capture Jesus. And uh, reading verse 49 there, when those around saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we now strike with the sword? And we all know the story. Out came one of the disciples with a sword and, whoosh, whoosh, and boom, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, put away the sword. He who lives by the sword will die by it. Now then, who was that disciple? Luke doesn't tell us. But if you read John's account of it, in John 18, 10 to 11, that disciple was Peter. Peter. It was Peter. Swashbuckling Peter drew the sword. And he was the one that cut the ear of the servant of the high priest. But Jesus healed the damage that Peter had done. And often Jesus does that. He heals the damage that our sin does to others. But he rebuked Peter and said, put away the sword. He that lives by the sword will die by it. And you're all looking at me now like a tree full of owls. And you're saying to yourself, you're saying to yourself, that's not me. I don't carry a weapon. I haven't got a sword or a knife strapped to my ankle or anything like that. That's a nice sermon, Brother Neil, but it really doesn't apply to me. I don't carry a sword. No, but you have one of these. A fist. How often do we strike out? I was preaching in Nepal late last year, and uh, they're very traditional still, like some of the churches are in India. In Nepal, the men were sitting on the right and the ladies were sitting on the left. The, the ladies didn't sit with the men and the men didn't sit with the ladies. Many churches are still like that in India and in Nepal they were. And I was preaching in this church and I was talking about that. I said, we've all got one of these. I says, and how many husbands sometimes are guilty of slapping their wives? And as I said that, about ten wives all looked across at their husbands. <laughs> you see, what did their body language tell me? 
Oh, yes, many Christians have one of these, you see. Now, how do we, and I must draw this to a conclusion, how do we recognize that spirit of self-survival in us? Oh, no, we're not carrying a weapon. We don't have a sword. We don't have a gun. We don't even have a knife. No. We don't carry a weapon. But we've got sometimes an uncontrolled hand or a vicious tongue. And the tongue can be a cruel weapon. We can cut people to pieces with acidic words of vitriol. You see? But the Bible says, blessed is the man who controls his spirit. He's better than the man that conquers a city. You see, how under control are we in times of adversity? This is the thing. So how do we recognize that spirit of self-survival in us? How do we? Anger. Anger. You see? Anger perhaps is one of the most difficult things we have to conquer as Christians. I mean, my her hereditary is from Ireland. My grandfather was Irish. I have his Irish citizenship. I have an Irish passport. The Irish are known for the spirit of revenge. The Irish are known for their temper and their anger. I know what I'm talking about. I had to learn to conquer anger. If you don't believe me, talk to my dearly beloved sitting on the front row there. <laughs> You see? Anger. Anger. I was very angry as a young man. You see, when things didn't go right. I could give many examples of it, but I won't. But my point is this. Anger. You see, it was in the heart of Cain. And God said to Cain, Cain, why has your countenance fallen? And why are you angry? You see, God was giving Cain a right to reset the exam that he'd failed. And God said to Cain, if you get that anger out of your spirit, you will also be accepted by your brother, like your brother was, and your offering. Do it right. Reset the exam. Do it correctly. And get that anger out of, out of your spirit. If you don't, sin lies at the door and its desire is to have you. What was the door? Murder. Or what was the sin, I should say? Murder. But what was the door? Anger. Anger is the doorway to murder. You see? Now, I know that we don't kill anybody. We don't. But our anger can be vented. To others. That's the spirit of self-survival. Anger. Anger at injustice. Even anger at unrighteousness. Anger when we are falsely accused. Anger when it comes to us when people don't agree with us. Or they don't like our actions. You see, and we get angry. It's that spirit of self-survival. Now why have I shared this? The heart is definitely wicked. Who can know it? Perilous times are coming. They are. Persecution is one of the promises Jesus said we would have. Not a nice promise. We'd rather hear the healings and the miracles and the, and the deliverance and provision and all that sort of thing. Yes, 
And, and God is very faithful, and he meets us in those areas of need. And many of you will have needs that you'd love to be prayed for this, after the service. And God, the, the servants of the Lord that are here, will pray for you. They will. They will. And if you're having a problem with anger, I do encourage you to come up for prayer and ask God through the servant that's going to pray for you to deal with that spirit of anger so that we can you know, be at peace so that when you know, the, the sword, which Jesus said, the sword will arise against every nation, they'll persecute you. Or as Ezekiel, when he, that watchman, sees the sword coming, the enemy coming in like a flood, as the Bible says, we will not resort to that spirit of self-survival, the sword nature, but we'll be able to be faithful even unto death, that we might have a testimony of the goodness and the blessings of God and receive the inheritance reserved in heaven for us. Those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray for you as a church, and I pass it back to Pastor for communion. Father, we thank you for each one gathered here today, for every family. Lord, we are truly sinful people. And like Peter, when the, when the pressure comes and the trial comes, Lord, many of us, no doubt, might be tempted to deny you, as was Peter. But Lord, I pray, let your Holy Spirit quicken to us the word that is so hidden within us that we might be found faithful. Lord, by your empowering grace, may we be able to withstand the evil one. Oh God, I pray, put that quality of character in us, we pray, as we yield ourselves to you. And Lord, keep crucified that Adamic sinful nature that we might live by that empowering grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let that be our portion, we pray. And Lord, may we never become victims of temptation as were the disciples. But Lord, like Jesus, we'd be able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Dr. Neil. And church, are you blessed to hear such an amazing word from God? Dr. Neil highlighted that word. It's a warning. You know, in other words, it's an encouragement of taking care of our spiritual lives. A journey with the Lord. Never take it for granted. Never. You need to be very careful of your spiritual lives. And take responsibility for your spiritual life.